in my personal devotion in the book of Jeremiah. If you guys would turn to Jeremiah chapter 28. I was going through this and, and some of the text really began to minister to me and speak to me. And for me, it, it, it was personal. Um, I, wa- I want to give you guys a, a, a little bit of um, of just some transparency with you this morning. Is that there are times in my life when I am not content with what God has given me. When I, I desire for for different things in my life. I, I desire for... A, a change of, of scenery, and, and I'm hoping that God does certain things in my life, but I start to strive in my flesh for those things to come about. And sometimes I get impatient, and impatience with the Lord is never a good thing. I, I can try to manipulate situations in my heart and in my mind as thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be a good thing for you, Lord. God, I want to do this for you. But in reality, sometimes it's, it's just my own flesh that, that is leading me and, and driving me. And we're going to talk about, about when it's the spirit leading us today and when it's the, the flesh leading us. So we're we're going to get into that a little bit later in, in the study. But I titled my study today, Godliness with Contentment. We know that verse in the Bible says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, right? And, and this is to me as... I'm going through the book of Jeremiah. One of the things that the Israelites struggled with. In Jeremiah chapter 28, or I'm actually going to read a little bit out of 27 before we get there, but I want to give you guys a a short background of of the prophet Jeremiah's book just so you guys can understand kind of the context of what was going on with the Israelites during this time. So you guys have heard the Jeremiah, he was known as the weeping prophet. He was known as a prophet who, who preached to Israel and the southern tribe of Judah, but never saw a convert, never saw anyone come to the Lord through his word, through God's word. And he prophesied to the southern tribe of Judah as a priest and as a prophet. Now, where we're at right here in the book of Jeremiah, as far as the, the account goes of the Bible, this is after Moses and the wilderness experience. So the tribes of Israel have already been established, and they've already inherited Israel. And then after that came King David and King David's reign. And then after King David passed away, Israel became divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern tribes of Israel, and then you have the southern tribe of Judah. So there's now two main kingdoms that Israel has been divided into. Now, one of the things that these kingdoms suffered with was idolatry. And idolatry and injustice began to plague the southern tribe of Judah the Israelites began to break their covenant with God. So then God would allow the Babylonians to bring judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem and taking the people of Israel into exile for 70 years. 
This was their punishment. And Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, had the glorious task, and I say that sarcastically, of overseeing the uprooting of Jerusalem. It was a really hard job for him. It wasn't easy to watch his people, his nation, get captured and taken away to Babylon. Now, God even told Jeremiah, look, Jeremiah, your calling in life is going to be to oversee the uprooting of Jerusalem, the tearing down of Jerusalem, but also you're going to see the planting of a new work that I'm going to do and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was used to accuse Israel and warn them of God's judgment, but also give a message of hope for the future. And something that I see in my study today is that there is a warning of judgment at the beginning of our text this morning, but at the end, the book of Jeremiah ends, or the, the text that we're in, it ends with a message of hope. And I think God needs, uh, God intended to give that to us, that look, there, there is a warning of what sin can do in our lives, but there's also hope. Because Israel, at this time in their life, they had adopted the worship of the Canaanites. They were building idol shrines throughout Israel, just like the Canaanites were. And Jeremiah would liken their idolatry to adultery. He would call it prostitution. He would call it promiscuity and unfaithfulness towards the Lord. That's what he, he used it as an illustration. Because all of Israel's leaders, their priests, their kings and other prophets, they were all becoming corrupt. The widows and the orphans of their region and the immigrants were being taken advantage of at this time in their life. And what's sad is that the Israelites, the Jewish people would go, they would worship God in the temple and then they would leave that temple. They would worship Jehovah God in the temple. They would leave that temple and then go to other temples, pagan temples, and they would put their children on the hands of Molech and burn them in the fires of Molech. So they began now practicing worshiping two different gods. One was a false god, and they would have that child sacrifice being performed. So because of all these things, that the, the corruption that was now in Israel, God was going to use Babylon as an instrument for judgment. And Jeremiah, he would beg the Israelites. He would say, stop, I'm begging you to stop your sin. And he warned them until the last minute. But they would reject Jeremiah. Now, the book, as I said, it ends with a glimmer of hope. And Jeremiah, he prophesies of hope that God has not abandoned his people. And he gives them a promise of a future coming Messiah. Now, if you look back in chapter 27, verses 12 through 15, I want to briefly just say what it's talking about right here because it's kind of like an opening to the rest of the text. But in chapter 27, Israel had already been in captivity by Babylon. Most of them were taken to Babylon. Some of them were left behind in Israel. And Zedekiah, he was this puppet king over Judah that Nebuchadnezzar, I sometimes call him Nebi, uh, was placed there. And Nebuchadnezzar at this point point in time he was busy with problems in other parts of his empire so he wasn't completely focused on what the Jews were doing 
And the Jews who were in Judah thought it was a smart time at, in this point in time to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. They're like, okay, we're in captivity, but look, we could break free of this guy. And there was now this kind of revolt that was stirring up in the hearts of the Israelites because they're in captivity. But God told them they were going to be there for 70 years. Now look at Jeremiah 27 verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read this to you. He says, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words. This is Jeremiah speaking. Saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence? As the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them, says the Lord. Yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I may drive you out and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Now, God was warning the, the Israelites right here. He's like, look, you're in captivity right now because I've allowed this to happen. So submit to the Babylonian authority. He warned them that, th that if they did not, that it was going to be fatal for them. And notice he's saying that there's going to be prophets who are speaking lies in the name of God. And something that it reminds me of is we need to be careful whenever someone comes to us and tells us, I have a message of God for you. Because I always like to say, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't think God lost my address. Yeah, God still knows how to, to, how to speak to me. I'm not saying that it never happens because God used prophets to speak to people. I'm just saying we need to be discerning. Take things w with discernment to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, somebody's come and presented something that apparently is from you. Is it really from you? And consider the source. Why did God not speak to you before that person on the matter? I've seen a lot of young men and young women have an emotional experience leading them to believe God spoke to them. And they say, God told me. And whenever someone says, God told me, I, I have to ask myself, and I've said it before too, just so you guys know. I'm not, I'm not saying I've never said that. But what am I really saying when I say God told me, God spoke to me? Is it that I hear God's audible voice? Has anyone here heard God's audible voice? Maybe. I personally, I've never heard an audible voice, but I have had that, that voice, that still small voice speak to my heart. That conviction placed by the Holy Spirit. So more recently, I, I, I've been careful. Rather than saying God told me, I, I've tried more often to use the phrase, I believe God is leading me in. And then I'll finish that statement. I've had letters written to my home uh, be right before I was about to get married that was saying, you're not in God's will. You're, you're, you're with the wrong person. And my wife saw these, my, uh, 
my fiance at the time saw these letters and I was like, it's a, some crazy person is writing me, I swear. <laughs> but people, they get sometimes caught up in the emotion of things. <laughs> and, and we had to deal with that. We had to just kind of burn that letter and just say la vie. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 28, the, the, the study that we're in today, the text that we're going to be in, let's look at the first four verses of Jeremiah chapter 28. It says, And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So now what we have introduced here is this prophet named Hananiah. And he comes to the people of Israel and he starts telling them, Hey, God has spoken to me and God told me in two years... All of our captive brothers and sisters in Babylon, they're going to come back to Israel. And Jeremiah is hearing this and saying, hold a second. God spoke to me and said 70 years. And now this guy's coming out here and saying, oh no, it's just two years and we're all going to be set free. Hananiah is prophesying directly against what Jeremiah spoke in the previous chapter. Now imagine you're in captivity in Jerusalem. Or maybe you could just see the Israelites, you're a fly on the wall, and you're watching this scene go down, where there's, they're, they're there in the temple, and Jeremiah prophesied earlier, and now this guy Hananiah is coming out with a new prophecy. Jeremiah is saying, look, 70 years, we're going to have to submit under the yoke of Babylon. And then this other prophet, Hananiah, comes and says, God has spoken to me two years, and we're going to be free from Babylon. Whose message do you think was probably better received in that season. Probably the people who were like, two years? Yeah, we're going to go to Hananiah's church. That guy speaks good words to us. You want to know why? Because people want to hear what makes them feel better. And this is happening today in churches. Where do you think most people want to go to? A church that preaches, God wants you to be wealthy, happy, and popular. That's what God wants for your life. Or do people, when they hear, God calls you to repent, to endure hardship. God calls you to die to yourself. People are like, I'm going to go to church A where they're teaching me that I'm going to get to be wealthy, healthy, and popular. How about that? I'll choose church A. Want to know why? Because people have become like the Israelites were. And it happens, I think, in every season. People become complacent. And they allow compromise in their life. They, there's no teaching on, on perseverance or, or, or patience during times of hardship that are promised to us. Like in Jeremiah's time, the false message that is being preached here. 
the people at this point needed to decide to listen to Jeremiah or Hananiah. So one thing, when we see kind of a contradiction of of preaching, is, is look at the fruit of a person. Look at the works that they're doing. And pray and ask God, God, give me discernment. Give me wisdom on what someone is saying. And you've heard me say this before. Look, don't take my word for it. Go look it up yourself. And, and I think that's something that not only is, is something that most importantly should be done spiritually, but also out there in the world, right? Because we live in the society of everything that we see is fake news. And you're either, if you, don't, if you watch the news, you're misinformed. And if you don't watch the news, then you're uninformed. And, and there's just so much like, what is truth nowadays? Is it Fox News or is it CNN? <laughs> you know? Because both the Bible. Amen, Chris. And we go to Jesus for truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to go to God and weigh with discernment. But on a side note, just to be a little personal, I listen to both when it comes to news and politics and things like that. And I try to take everything in and weigh it and balance it. Amen. (laughs) In verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. So now I imagine right here a a tone of sarcasm in Jeremiah as he's speaking. He hears Hananiah's prophecy and he's like, amen, the Lord do so. Well, I I pray that the Lord would do that. But there's a hint of truth in that, that he does wish that God would bring back the Israeli captives home. But he also knows that what Hananiah is saying isn't true because God spoke to him. And Jeremiah is about to oppose Hananiah in these next verses. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, When the words of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So how do we see here that this prophet is going to be confirmed? It's when the prophecy is fulfilled. Now if I came up here and said, look, the Lord spoke to me and told me that this year the clouds would come and the rain was going to fall. God spoke to me. Amen. People would be like, wait a second. Like, Clouds come every year and rain falls, unless it's a serious drought. But for the most part, we have at least a little bit of rain every year, right? Or what if I say, the Lord spoke to me and told me that this year I will own a new surfboard. Yes, amen, praise the Lord. And then a few weeks from now, I go out and buy a surfboard because that's what my heart desires. And I see the Lord spoke to me. So now that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Now, 
we need to be discerning of when people are saying the Lord spoke to them out there because there's a lot of YouTube prophets right now that are saying a lot of interesting things, you know? We need to just take things with a grain of salt, take them before the Lord. And God does speak through prophets. God does. The gift of prophecy is still available today. Now, in a previous chapter, Jeremiah placed a wooden yoke on his neck as a demonstration to Israel to say, look, we are going to be under the yoke of the Babylonians. And then Hananiah, in verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So now Hananiah now is really contradicting Jeremiah. He's saying, no, look, I'm gonna, it's going to be broken. Two years, we're going to be out of here. He breaks the, the, the yoke. And I notice here how Jeremiah isn't recorded now getting into a debate and argument with Hananiah. He simply walks away. He went his way. He's like, all right, I, I said what God told me to say. Now I'm going to walk away. He simply leaves. And then in verse 12. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. So now God again is reminding Jeremiah, look, you heard right the first time, now it's going to be worse for those Israelis who do not submit to the Babylonian government. I'm going to replace the yokes of iron I'm sorry, the yokes of wood with the yokes of iron. It's going to be a, a harsher punishment now. And then in verse 15, Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So now this is a, 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 another thing I notice is now when Jeremiah hears from the Lord again, he does go back to Hananiah and calls him out for his lie. He says, the Lord spoke to me and said, what you're saying is false. Now the seriousness of teaching rebellion against God was God took Hananiah's life. Jeremiah said, look, you're, you're going to die now in this year. And in, se in the seventh month, he, he perished. And that's what happens when people misrepresent the word of God. That's why I, I, I want to be very careful and ask God to help me in presenting the word of God to people. And it, for the Old Testament prophets, if they begin to prophesy 
and those prophecies were shown out to be lies, they were killed. This is the seriousness of it. Now in chapter 29 of Jeremiah's letter to the captives, this is the part that for me personally, as I was a, when I went through chapter 29, it really ministered to my heart. And I felt like, you know what, I, this is, I want to teach on this on Sunday morning. I'm going to take a step back from the Gospel of Luke because I, I believe that this was a word of the Lord for myself and I believe that God wants to minister to us through it. Now in verse 20, chapter 29, in verse 1, it says, now, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then it mentions a a few of those captives, but we could skip down to verse four. In verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. So that they may bear sons and daughters. That you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. So now this is the letter that Jeremiah is sending to those who are still captive in Babylon. Because remember, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem right now under captivity. But there was a a bunch of the Israelis who were taken away to Babylon. And so he's writing a letter to them. And the Lord spoke to him and the Lord is telling them, look, build houses where you're at in Babylon in captivity. Learn how to live there. Plant gardens to eat from those gardens. He's saying, look, marry and start families where you're at. Seek the, the peace of that city and pray for it. And Israel's sin had led them to Babylon, if you remember. The reason why God had them there in the first place was because of their own sin. This was their punishment. But even in the judgment that God was placing on them, you see the mercy that God has on them there in Babylon. He wants them to be prospered, to be fruitful, to be provided for. And he's gracious to them. He wants to give them peace and joy with the the families and the provisions and the food. And he told the young people, look, young people, get married. He told parents to encourage their children to marry and to have sons. And God is promising them peace now. If they could just learn to be content with where God had them. And one of the biggest struggles uh, as Christians is that we're going to have to battle with contentment in our lives. Sometimes we're looking for fulfillment from this world. Right? We, we want the relationship. We want money. And sometimes we, we want so much success and fame. We want pleasure in our life. We want power. But none of these things leave our souls fulfilled. And we find that contentment, truly it comes from Christ alone. 
So look here, desire, the desires that we have in our life, those are good things. Specifically, the, th- the good things that God calls us to, that God wants for us. Those are good things to have desires in our life. I would imagine that for someone who is very overly obese, it'd be a, a good desire for them to lose weight. That would be healthy, right? So he change, changes his diet and exercise to benefit his health. I think it's a good thing to, to desire good things. But something I, I want to kind of help us this morning to realize in our walks, in our life, is the difference between contentment and complacency. You see, contentment, according to Webster's Dictionary, is feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul wrote, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then again, Paul wrote to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul said, In regard to need, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. That means to be poor. And I know how to be abounding. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and both to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So see, Paul himself had to learn contentment. And I'm thinking, Lord, if you could just change sometimes in my life, just this one thing in my life, I'd be so much happier, God. I'd serve you so much better, God, if you could just change this one area in my marriage, Lord. If you could change this one area in my schedule. If you could change this one thing. And I go through those seasons in my life. I remember the, the season in my life when I was single. And I, I, there was a, a time when I felt God actually, years ago, through this same portion of scripture, I kid you not, as I was going through it, I was single and I was praying, Lord, when are, when are you going to bring my wife? When are you going to bring my girlfriend? And I was in this state of singleness and like, oh, woe is me. And I came to this chapter I was actually listening to a a Bible study on it actually at the time. And he was talking about this season of of 70 years of waiting patiently. And I felt like the Lord was like speaking to me through it. And I was just like, 70 years, God. I was like, that's a long time. I didn't literally think 70 years, but I just felt like, man, the Lord was using it to teach me a little bit about patience. And it was hard in that season of my life. And I was like, man, But God was showing me in that season, look, if you're not going to be content with just you and me right now, bringing a a girl in your life is not going to change that. You need to be content with me. Now, there's the difference between learning, okay, Lord, I'm going to be okay and joyful and allow your peace to come into my life with what you've given me. There's a difference between that and what's known as being complacent or complacency. 
Now, complacency, according to Webster's Dictionary again, is to be pleased, especially with yourself or your merits, your works, your advantages, and your situation, and often without the awareness of some potential danger or defect in those things. So that's like you're driving with the squeaky brakes on your car for too long. And you know it, you're like, oh man, the brakes are squeaking. You're like, ah, like, I don't, it's not time yet. Like, I'll just wait, I'll just wait. And you wait just a little too long. And you guys know what happens if you let that squeaky wheel go on too long in your car? When you finally are like, all right, all right, let me go take the brakes in. And what could be an easy $40 part turns into, oh, your rotors are gone. Now we've got to change the rotors, and now you're looking at an $800 bill, depending. You're like, oh my gosh, like it could have been so easy if I would have just taken care of it at the beginning, but because you got complacent with a squeaky, squeaky, squeaky as you were driving, you're like, you know what, I could go a little bit longer, a little bit longer. This is how we have shows today that are called Thousand Pound Sisters. I don't know if you guys know about this. Yeah, these two sisters, they're both like 600 pounds each. They're like over 1,000 pounds together because people com become complacent with their life. But then we could go to the other way, right, with, with ambition. You see, because there's a difference between your fleshly ambitions and godly ambitions, so imagine I, I'm, I leave my church pulpit all the time. I leave the, the, my time of studying the Bible because I want to be the best gym guy, gym rat that there ever is, just so I could just look good, just so I could look nice. It's like, oh, man. Or imagine I'm going to the, the gym so much that I, I neglect my wife. Because I want to be ambitious and show the world, look at how disciplined I am and how big I could get, right? So we could go the other way. And th those are the differences now between fleshly ambition and what, what is godly ambition. But God did desire us to uh, pray for the best gifts, didn't he? So we need to, with all these things I'm bringing up, complacency, contentment, ambition. We need to put these things before the Lord. Say, God, I, I need you to show me your will. And I want you to bring that into my life and do a work in me and through me because we don't want to get lazy. We don't want to get fleshly ambition. We just want to be right on path with the Lord. Not impatient and not neglecting what he's called us to do. Now in verse 8, Jeremiah continuing, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And I'm reminded now when he's talking about the prophets and the, div the diviners of their time. You know that astrology that we people love to look at today? Uh, that actually originated from Babylonian religion. When people are like, oh, like, are you Cancer? Pisces? Gemini? What are you? 
Like, oh, we, 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 you know, we go together. Now, something even, too, on a side note that to me is kind of interesting about that. Because one day I was, I was talking to someone, and they're like, oh, that's all fake. Like, and I was talking to a believer, and they're like, oh, that, it, it's all fake. And they're like, and it's evil. I'm like, wait, wait, well, is it fake or is it evil? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're saying it's evil, but if it's fake, that means it's not real. But is it real or is it, is it, or is it fake? And they're like, well, I think maybe it can be real. And I was like, yeah, I think it can be real too, but it's evil. It can be. So we need to be careful when people start dabbling in astrology and looking at stars and signs and wonders. And when it comes to dreams, you just got to be careful if you're eating too much spicy food. <laughs> Sometimes you eat that big, delicious burrito, put a bunch of tapatio on it, you start having those dreams come into your life, and you're, you're all of a sudden thinking, the Lord spoke to me. Here's the burrito. Now, don't get me wrong, wrong. In the Bible, there are times when God did speak to people through dreams. So again, bring everything to the Lord with discernment. God, what do you want me to do with this? Usually with dreams, I just put them in the dream category and say, that was an interesting dream. We'll see what the Lord wants to do. In verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, I think some of you guys have heard this verse before. It's quite a famous verse. It's one that we could put in our notebook of promises, Bible promises that God has given us. It's one that's very dear to me. And what's interesting too as I was, I was going through these few chapters in, in my time of study, is I, I was kind of just enraptured by the story itself, the account of what the Israelites were doing in Babylon. And I didn't even realize that at the end of, of or towards the middle of this chapter, I was going to come to that famous verse until I read it. And I was like, oh, this is that famous verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. And I, sometimes we... We, we like to highlight verse 11 because it, it is an awesome promise. But when I look at the context too of who it was given to and what they were doing in the season that they, that they were in in their life, it brings so much more meaning to it now. We're like, man, look, their captivity was not going to be their end. The Israelites' captivity from the Babylonians. I realize that God is not done with Israel even today. You know, the Israelites, they're, they're still his chosen people. And they're being prepared once again to meet their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because there is a great tribulation that is still coming. And the Antichrist will one day reveal himself, become this abomination of desolation there in the temple. He's going to tell the Jews to then worship him. And the Jews' eyes, they're going to be opened. And they're going to say, whoa, wait a second. No, 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 no. This, this is blasphemy. And then he's going to try to attack the Jews at that time. And God is going to miraculously take the Jewish people and save them there. 
in the rock city. And then Jesus, at the end, he's going to meet with his chosen people. And when they come alongside of him, they're going to see the scars in his hands. And they're going to say, who did this to you? And he says, this is done in the house of my friends. You see, Jesus is not done with the Jewish people. He's not done with Israel. And I see in all this, look, this is all God's plan. God is using this in their life. And I'm reminded, look, God has seasons in our life where we feel like we are in bondage, where we feel like we're in captivity, where we feel like we've been suffering for a long time. The Israelites suffered for a long time, 70 years in captivity. And even in that was a season of preparation. And God uses the seasons of desire in our life to purify us. Maybe we have felt like, God, you've forgotten me. God, how long do I have to wait in this season, Lord? How long, Lord? When is this going to stop, Father? And I'm reminded because of Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, God says, that God is always thinking about us. The thoughts of love God has toward us is infinite. And he has thoughts of of peace and not of evil for us. And we are moving towards something that is good God has promised us. This is what gives us hope at the end of this study. He says in verse 12, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, all of your heart now. That's the, remember, the, the thing that the Israelites were struggling with was idolatry. They were worshiping the Lord in the temple and they would go worship the pagan deities outside of the temple. But now God is saying, you're going to find me when you worship me with all of your heart. So God does not want us to be divided by idols in our life. He wants us to get rid of our idols, whatever that is for you. Anything that takes the place of God in your life, get rid of it. And then in verse 14, this is where we're going to end the, verse, uh, the study this morning. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And in this I see God's grace and his mercy. You guys know the, the difference between grace and mercy? Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. And grace is receiving the blessing that you don't deserve. And that is God's grace for us. Jesus himself, the, the awaited Messiah that the Israelites were still waiting for, that God was promising them, look, I have a future hope for you. That future hope is Jesus They're waiting for their Messiah to come to free them and not just from captivity, but to free them from sin. And that's what Jesus has for us this morning. To free us from our bonds, to free us from our lack of contentment in our life. Jesus himself becomes our contentment.